Isaiah chapter 38. And this then, the first sermon of the last series on all these counseling issues. So tonight, physical problems, illness. And then I think there will only be five sermons to come after tonight. And I'm, I'm actually a, a bit nervous about some of them. I have no idea how to preach on them, but I thought it's necessary to preach on Alzheimer's, autism, eating disorders, sleeping disorders, chronic, or chronic fatigue and pain. But I think it's necessary for Christians to hear the teaching of God's word on these topics. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you once again, the Most High, Eternal God. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge you as the Lord of glory. Praise to you, Father, Son and Spirit. Speak to us from your word tonight. Open to us the scriptures, the holy scriptures that have been in your heart from all eternity. Your word is like silver that has been purified seven times in the earth. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. I read an article on Gospel Coalition's website, uh, actually, I think about two weeks ago, maybe three, and it's a review of a book by Andrew Womack, and the book is called God Wants You Well, and its subtitle is something about the secret of walking in divine healing, something of the sort. Uh, and, and the point of the book is health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. God always wants you well, and if you're ever sick, it's not the will of God, and so on and so forth. We've heard that many times. Uh, but there's an illustration in the book where him, the author of the book, he comes to this father and mother of a four-year-old, and the four-year-old is severely brain damaged, and they pray for a miracle that God will heal the child, and the child dies. And if that is not bad enough, as if that's not bad enough, this author of the book, Andrew Womack, he then comes to the parents and bottom line, there's some sin in your life. That's why the child died. And the parents are devastated and then they do say, yes, we doubted and we feared and we were afraid. And all right, finger on the nerve ending of... on. On the raw nerve, that's your problem. It's some sin. It's the sin that you did. That's terrible advice. That is insensitive and unbiblical. So what does the Bible teach and how should we as Christians view illness from a biblical perspective? And that's where we come to probably the most well-known passage in the whole Bible on someone who was ill. We've got, well, at, at least in the whole Old Testament, I'd say, uh, there are many in the New Testament. <clears throat> but here a man, Hezekiah. And so first of all, we're going to look at Hezekiah's illness in verse 1 to 8 and verse 21 and 22. 
In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done <coughs> what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I'll add 15 years to your life. I'll deliver you and the city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend the city. This shall be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he has promised. <coughs> Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun and the dial of Ahaz turn back 10 steps. So the sun turned back on the dial the 10 steps by which it had declined. Verse 21. Now Isaiah had said, let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. Hezekiah also had said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? Now please keep your Bible open. We're going to be referring back to the verses. My, my wife, or let's say my wife and I and the children, we love uh, watching Hallmark murder mysteries. And uh, sometimes I don't like it because after I've watched one of those, they're very clean and no, it's no blood and guts. It's very uh, family friendly. But I'm scared after those movies when I go to the bathroom in the passage and it's dark. <laughs> and so in one of these, uh, one of, the, the, one of the, the, the mysteries we like the most is Aurora Tea God. And so <coughs> after or during one of these uh, one of this part of the series. So it starts, you've got this murder taking place and you just see them, uh, you see in the dark and you hear someone gets knocked down and there the body's lying and someone runs away and it's always her coming across these dead people. <gasps> There's a dead person in my house or in my garden or whatever. And, and then it's the theme song and then as the story starts, it says... In one episode, two weeks earlier. This is what's going on here. So verse 1 you read, In those days Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. In what days? Actually, verse chapter 36 and 37, when the Assyrian army comes, Sennacherib is the king of Assyria, he comes with his whole army, and he's out to destroy Jerusalem. That actually happens after chapter 38. Chapter 38 is like in Aurora Tea Garden. Two weeks earlier. Or whatever the time frame was here. It doesn't say two weeks. But in those days. But actually this happens. He's, he's sick. And then later on the, the Assyrian army comes. <clears throat> so this starts where Isaiah comes. In the story. Isaiah the prophet. And he walks up to the king. The king's lying on a sickbed and he says to him, you're going to die. God says you're going to die. You're not going to survive this illness. So set everything in order. Now, why does God say that through the prophet? God knows the, the day of each person's death. It's actually predetermined. According to Job 14 verse 5, God has set 
uh, a border there, you cannot cross that line. Uh, or maybe uh, in Ecclesiastes, there's a determined time for everything under the sun, and even there's a time to be born, a time to die. So why does God say this? I think this might be a test for Hezekiah. You know, when we go through illness and many other trials, but let's take illness as an example, it's very easy to be strong when everything's going well for you. But when you're really sick, it's not so easy. And what is inside comes out. Uh, so your true colors are shown in trials and also then in illness. And besides, I think it's very kind of God to send Isaiah to say, you've got time to get everything in order. Set your house in order. That's kind. I mean, if you die instantly, there's no time to get things in order. There's no time to fix broken relationships. There's no time to repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no time to make funeral arrangements. There's no time, if you haven't done that, to get your final will and testament in order. There's no time to say goodbye to your loved ones. There's no time to, to deal with unconfessed sin. So this is a kindness of God, a mercy of God to say, you've got time. Set things in order. Set your house in order. It's good for us to actually have time to think about death. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, give us a heart of wisdom. Let us think about death. We want a heart of wisdom to really think through this. If you think, or, or teach us, how does it say, teach us to number our days so that we may, we may get a heart of wisdom. Uh, like Jacob, when Jacob was on his deathbed in Genesis 48 and 49, he really set things in order, called his children, called his grandchildren, blessed them, crossed his hands, you blessed, and more than you, both of you are blessed. You know the whole story, and then all these sons, and all right, Reuben, this for you, and I know what you did, don't think I don't know, and you're going to be blessed, my son, in this way and this way, and please don't bury me in Egypt, take me to the land of, that God has promised, uh, the piece of land that Abraham bought from the Hittites, and so on. And then something else when, when Isaiah comes and says, Hezekiah, you're going to die, God is actually drawing him out to pray. Is it true to say everything that, and anything that causes you to pray is a blessing? Yeah, perhaps a blessing in disguise. So he's drawing out Hezekiah to pray. In verse 2 you see Hezekiah turns his face to the wall and he prays to God. And he actually weeps. I think maybe he's a bit embarrassed and a bit ashamed. He doesn't want his servants to see him crying. So he turns to the wall. He's really crying his heart out. Doesn't that often happen in illness? That you call to the Lord. You, you like Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, you pray without ceasing. And here we see this thing happen with Hezekiah. Now what should you pray for when you are sick, when you are ill? That's quite a question. What should you pray for? Should we always pray for healing? I think a biblical principle is, what do you have faith for? Didn't Jesus say that to the blind men when he healed them in Matthew chapter 9? According to, do you believe I can do this? Yes, Lord, according to your faith. So it will be for you. So what do you have faith for? Do you have faith to pray, Lord, please would you give me Please would you heal me? Then pray that. Do you have faith to pray, Lord, please give the doctors wisdom when they perform this operation? Then pray for that. Do you have faith to pray, Lord, please give me grace to endure this trial. This is difficult. 
then pray for that. And pray with pleading, with supplication. Supplication in Afrikaans, in Philippines, Afir, met smeken, say Paulus. So plead with the Lord. This is what he does in verse 3. Please, O Lord, please remember me. And if you cannot pray because you're so ill, then you rely on Romans 8, verse 26 and 27. When you do not know what to pray in your suffering, then the Holy Spirit prays for you. He intercedes for you with groanings. You cannot even utter the words. Or as Martin Lloyd-Jones said, when you do not know what to pray, pray what you know. What do you know? You know God is your Father if you're a Christian, if you've been born again, if you're trusting in Christ, if you're repented and, and turned to Him by faith. You know that the Lord is sovereign and He loves you. And so on. All these promises. Then pray what you know. I think it's important for us in such, actually before you get ill, to hide the word in your heart. Psalm 119 verse 11, I've hidden your word in my heart or stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So hide the word in your heart. Store it up for those times of illness when you don't have the strength to pick up a Bible and read. Then at least you've got it in your memory and you can, you can take those verses. And I know some people don't have a good memory and they struggle to remember, but then remember the songs you learned in Sunday school. All those Bible verses that you learned by singing them. Then do so. So Hezekiah, in his case, what he prays in verse 3, he says, Please, Lord, please remember how I've walked before you in faithfulness with a whole heart. I've done what is good in your sight. And he did. That's true. In 2 Kings 8, verse 3 to 6, it says, uh, 2 Kings 18, verse 3 to 6, this very same um, king, you, read, you can actually read that story in 2 Kings and in 2 Chronicles, but, but in, in 2 Kings, it says that Hezekiah was a very good king. He, he walked in all the ways that his father David walked, his forefather David. He didn't turn to the right or to the left. He obeyed God. So he's right to say, Lord, I've, I've kept your covenant. I've obeyed what you have told me. And I think for us, I don't think I'd like to pray this way to say, Lord, remember all the good I've done and so on. I'm a sinner, Lord. What I want to say is, remember your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember your son who intercedes for me. Remember your son, Jesus, who is my high priest. Remember Jesus who opened the way for me. Father, I pray in the name of your son. You'll never reject your son. Please hear my prayer. Your son is my advocate. Your son is my lawyer. He's my defense attorney. I come because of Jesus. I want to pray according to your word and according to your will. And God will hear the call. <coughs> Excuse me. And the plea of his children. God sees your tears. Like with Hezekiah. In verse 3 he calls out. He weeps bitterly. And Isaiah goes back and says, Thus says the Lord. And he brings a word from the Lord. The Lord has heard your prayer. The Lord has seen your tears. And so does, does the Lord not do the same with us? I'm preaching to healthy people this evening. And some of you aren't healthy. You've got chronic illness. Constant. I've got this thing. <clears throat> For seven years I've had this. Post-nasal drip. It hasn't stopped. Um, but the Lord hears when His children call to Him. And whatever you're praying for, the Lord hears. Like the Israelites when they were in slavery in Egypt, the Lord heard their cry. Exodus 2, the end of the chapter. The Lord heard their cry. Or, or Hagar in Genesis 21. 
She cried and the child cried and God said, I have seen the tears of your son. I've seen these tears. The Lord hears. Or like the woman in Matthew 15, the Syrophoenician, the Canaanite woman. Jesus, Jesus, she calls. My daughter, please help my daughter. She has a demon, please. And the disciples get fed up with this woman. She's making a noise. She's bothering us. And Jesus doesn't answer her. He's testing her faith. And she keeps on. And then Jesus says, you can't take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. Because the Gentiles were called dogs. So Jesus is testing her. She said, the dogs eat the crumbs that the children mess on the floor. And Jesus says, woman of great faith. And so the Lord hears her, her cry, her plea, her prayer, and the, do- the daughter gets healed. Or in Matthew chapter, chapter 20, <clears throat> from verse 29. Um, maybe I should just flip there quickly. Matthew 20, verse 29. Please don't lose your place in, in Isaiah. So there you've got the story of the two blind men. And they say, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus doesn't answer at first. And the people say, keep quiet, you're bothering Jesus. And they cry out louder, Son of David, have mercy. And Jesus calls them, says, come here. And so they come to Jesus, the people lead them. And and he asks this question. And I've told you this before. What do you want me to do for you? How would you answer that question? If Jesus had to ask you now, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, please let us see. So Jesus heard their plea, heard their cry. Mark chapter 9, the, the father, and he has this epileptic son, but it's, the epilepsy is called by, caused by a demon. And the demon wants to kill him, throws him in water and in fire. And, and Jesus says, comes to the father, and the father says, if you can help us. Jesus says, if I can. All things are possible for those who believe. And he says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. The Lord hears his cry. He answers the prayer. He heals the son. Now, the same with Hezekiah. Hezekiah cried out. He pleaded with the Lord. The Lord's answering. How does he answer Hezekiah's prayer? Yes, he heals him, but... I didn't hear what someone said. Okay, directly, but how? How does he bring the answer to Hezekiah? How does he bring the answer? Isaiah, Isaiah brings the word, thus says the Lord. So he brings a word from the Lord. I do not think the application here is to say God promises healing for every sickness. That's dangerous to do that. I know of a case of a man who got cancer in his face and he was in hospital and a so-called prophet came and said, don't worry, and with the family... And this prophet said, God is going to heal you. And the man died. Uh, Another case I know where there was a 16-year-old child. And what did the parents do? They just spoke life. You know what they do nowadays. I speak life. And the child died. So it's dangerous to just think God promises healing in every case. Uh, I think the application of this... Isaiah bringing a word from the Lord is bring a word from the Lord. Bring God's word. Bring God's promises to the ill person, to the sick person. And, and, and promises from God's heart. Words of comfort. Words of encouragement. Like, I mean, lots of verses in Isaiah. Isaiah 40 verse 11 where the shepherd picks up the, the lambs and he carries them in his arms. Isaiah 40 from verse 28 where the Lord, he, he does not grow faint or weary. 
We grow faint and weary. Our bodies grow weak, but the Lord gives, gives strength even to the souls who, have been down, who are downcast. He, he lifts them up. Or Isaiah 41 verse 10, where he supports us with his mighty right hand. Do not be anxious. He is with you. He goes with you through the rivers. He goes with you through the fire, says Isaiah chapter 43. He does not break the bruised reed. He does not quench the smoldering wick. Doesn't. He helps them. He helps his children. He carried you from the womb. He will carry you to the end, even when you're old and when you have gray hair, says chapter 46, verse 3 and 4. He does not forget you. He has written the name of his children, in the, engraven them in the palms of his hands. Chapter 49, verse 15 and 16. He loves you. His love is steadfast, more steadfast than, than the mighty mountains. Chapter 54, verse 10. He's your shepherd. He walks with you through the valley of the shadow of death. His rod and staff, they comfort you. I do not even have to tell you where that's from. Nothing in all creation will separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Many promises you can take. Words of comfort to the sick person. Now in Hezekiah's case, the Lord gave him, the Lord, the God of his father David, gave him the promise, I will heal you, verse 5, I will add 15 years to your life. No doctor, no healthy diet, no amount of exercise can extend your life unless God permits. You can be the healthiest person alive and die instantly of a heart attack. So it's God. Life and death is in the hands, in the hands of God. I kill, I make alive. 1 Samuel 2 verse 6. The keys of death and Hades, death and hell, in the hands of Jesus. Revelation 1, verse 18. And by the way, healing, healing is not always the best option. Do you know what happened with Hezekiah? He was healed. 15 years were added to his life. What happened in those 15 years? He had a son. And his son's name, Manasseh. How do I know it was in those 15 years? Because Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. He was the wickedest king ever, north or south, in Israel. Sometimes it's better to die than go to be with the Lord. I would almost say, maybe always, unless the Lord wills you to live because he's got some purpose, still like the Apostle Paul. Paul says, if I had my wish, I would depart and be with Christ. It's far better. But to stay here for you Philippians, you Christians in Philippi, it's better that I stay so I can still serve you. Now Hezekiah, in his case, what was the best in his case? Well, the Lord said, right, I'm going to heal you. <clears throat> and that's what the Lord gives. And then Hezekiah asked, what, what's the sign? What's the sign that the Lord's going to heal me? In verse 22. Hezekiah says, what's the sign? And what is the sign? Verse 7, the sign is given. So uh, the reason he asks for a sign is because his dad, his father, Ahaz, King Ahaz was a wicked king. And Ahaz, in Isaiah 7, Isaiah said, choose any sign. 
God says you can choose any sign, and Ahaz would not choose a sign because he did not believe in God. He knew God existed, but he was full of unbelief. And so Hezekiah doesn't want to make the same mistake as his father. So he says, what will be the sign? And God says, right, here's the sign. Um, actually, if you read Kings and Chronicles, Isaiah asks him, do you want the shadows to move 10 steps ahead or ten, ten, say progress with 10 steps or go 10 steps backward on the sundial of Ahaz? You know the sundials? Now, it could have been a sundial or it could have been steps, actual steps that were built with bricks. And it was designed in such a way so you can tell the time from where the shadow falls. So whatever it is doesn't matter. <clears throat> the point is just, Hezekiah thought, it says in Kings, he thought it's easy to go forward. Because as the sun sets, the shadows get longer. It's difficult for them to go back. I want them to go back. And the Lord does that. And that's what we read in our text here. Uh, in verse 8, I'll make, it, I'll make it happen. And so it happened. And so if God can do that, why can't he heal Hezekiah? Of course he can heal Hezekiah. If God can make the sundial and the shadow move and this, maybe the earth rotate, reverse, I don't know how it happened, but God did it. Then of course he can help him in his illness. And of course, verse 6, I will deliver this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and defend the city. That hasn't even happened yet. That's still going to come, the previous chapters. And God already promises. And by the way, don't worry about that problem when it comes. I'll deal with it. <coughs> I think that's quite a good principle uh, when we're sick. Is to see God's hand and God's work and to remember God's powerful workings even in the past. To remember, but God did that before. And I can trust Him again. I can re actually remind Him. Of his works. That's what the psalmist does in Psalm 77. But Lord, remember, I will remember your works in the past. How you led your people out of Egypt and led them through the Red Sea and so on. And that'll encourage your prayers in the present. All right, so Hezekiah then prays. Uh, we saw that. God answers the prayer. How? How does God heal him? Verse 22. Or 21. Medicine. Have you, ever, have you ever met Christians that think it's unspiritual to use medicine? Or to go to doctors? Well, God uses medicine. Sometimes God doesn't use medicine. God does what He wants. He can heal any way He pleases. Actually, uh, figs. They put the, the cake of figs on the, on the boil. You swear... Uh, the boil would have caused uh, inflammation and rising temperatures and so on and infection, all of that. And you can die from that. So uh, figs has got, it's got uh, medicinal properties, healing properties. Many, actually, I think more than, or about 40. <clears throat> so that's very good medicine that God gives there. So don't think God is against medicine. In the, in the Bible, you've got the, the tree of life in Ezekiel 47 and Revelation 22, and the leaves are used as medicine. And God has put all kinds of things in herbs and fruit seeds and these vitamins in fruit and all these things we need for good health. In the New Testament, you've got a doctor who's a Christian. What's his name? Yes, Luke, Colossians 4 verse 14. 
And so God is definitely not against doctors and against medicine. Yet, yet. Do not swear by them. Do not place all your hope on them. Like that king in Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 12, you had this king and God struck him with an illness and still he did not turn to God. He turned to physicians. He turned to doctors and placed all his hope in doctors, King Asa. I was just looking for the name, I forgot. So King Asa. Don't we do that as Christians? We talk about this specialist and this doctor and that doctor and this is the best one in the country and the best one in Gauteng. It's like we place their trust in him. Yes, God uses doctors and he heals through medicine like in this verse. But don't place all your trust in him. God can heal you if he pleases. If he so pleases without a doctor and without medicine. He did that in the Bible. You remember the woman who suffered from bleeding for 12 years and she spent all her money on doctors, Luke chapter 8. And no doctor could help her. Mark 5 tells us the problem actually got worse after going to all these doctors. And she just touched the hem of Jesus' robe. Not really the hem, those little things the Jews wore, those. What do you call it? Tassels. Tassels. Yeah. She just touched that. And Jesus, she was healed. Um, there's a story like that with my mother. My mother had gallstones. You had gallstones. Do gallstones come out? They're huge. <laughs> Some of them. And they took the scans and they showed them. And the doctor said, operation. And they prayed just at a normal prayer meeting on a Friday night at the Baptist church in Lutrichot. And she went back for the operation. Before the operation, they scanned again. The gallstones were gone. And the doctor said, where are the gallstones? She said, they probably came out. He said, gallstones don't come out. Now, some people remain sick because of sin. Maybe like a sexually transmitted disease. Maybe your liver gets messed up through alcohol abuse. Maybe um, intense pains on your chest because of anxiety. I've experienced that. Emphysemia because of nicotine. Or maybe just God's direct intervention and discipline like the Corinthians when they abused the Lord's table. Getting drunk during the service, drinking too much wine, and God let them become, some of them were weak and ill and some died, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 30. What's the solution in a case like that? It does not help to go to the doctor. The solution is to repent of your sin. And maybe, maybe God heals you, but maybe the consequences of your sin remain like a sexually transmitted disease, if that be the case. But it may be that the Lord heals you. So you pray, Psalm 41, <clears throat> Psalm 41 verse 4, I think it's David, yes, where he says, As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me, heal me, for I have sinned against you. And so the, the solution is, is go to the Lord, even go to your elders, and say to the elders, Please will you come to my house, I'm too ill to come to church. 
And please, James 5, verse 14 and 15, if someone is ill, let him call for the elders of the church. Let the elders come. Let them anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Let them pray over the sick, and the sick person will be raised. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. And so you confess those sins to the Lord, and you ask for prayer. <clears throat> and then you remain healthy. I don't mean because of the healing. I mean because... Uh, by biblical principles, by following, you know, many illnesses. I know, I met a doctor. His mother was in our church. She's in heaven now. But this doctor is in Australia. And he said, I don't want to exaggerate, was it 80% of all the patients who come to him, psychosomatic illness. Psyche, the soul, surma, the body. It's because the things are wrong spiritually. That's why they get ill. We've got examples and examples and examples of that in the Bible, in the book of Proverbs especially. You've got marriage problems that can cause illness. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4, where there's fighting and bickering all the time. It says, it speaks of a, a bad wife and it says it's like rottenness in that man's bones. Or in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30, it speaks of envy and jealousy, bitterness, anger. It can cause rottenness in the bones, it says. Same in, in Proverbs 17.22. I'm not going to look up all these verses. 15 verse 30. 16 verse 24. Proverbs 3 verse 7 and 8. Proverbs 4 verse 20 to 22. All these verses, I can give you the references afterward if you want them. All these verses speak of obedience and health, disobedience and all kinds of illnesses. You know that. Stress depression, anxiety, fear, bitterness, unforgiveness, all of those things can have an effect on the body. You are you're an outer man and an inner man, body and soul, body and spirit. So whatever happens inside here, if it keeps on long enough, it'll have an effect. You'll get tension, headaches, you'll get nausea, you'll get liver problems, whatever. Lots of, lots of that kind of stuff. So what you want to do is get rid of all impurity of body and spirit and so bring holiness to completion in the fear of God. What you want to do is Philippians 4 verse 8. I'm not talking about that nonsense of speaking life and speaking hell. That's nonsense. I'm talking about biblical principles of a sound mind and a sound soul. Of thinking of what is true and holy and beautiful and pure and good and so excellent. All those things in Philippians 4 verse 8. So that's what you want. And then just... Keeping and maintaining a healthy lifestyle through getting enough sleep, resting enough, working, going on holiday when you need to go on holiday, uh, having a variety, not just slop chips all the time, you know, French fries and more French fries and burgers and French fries and Coca-Cola. <laughs> it's not going to do your health very good. <clears throat> And maybe a bit of exercise. All right, number two. Hezekiah's and a, a bit of exercise. Paul says that, 1 Timothy 4 verse 8. <laughs> Don't make an idol of that. Hezekiah's hymn. Hezekiah's hymn. Hymn, H-Y-M-N, not H-I-M. Say, <laughs> Lofgesang, his song of praise. Verse 9 to 20. A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. I said... In the middle of my days, must, I must depart. I'm consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord. 
the Lord in the land of the living, I shall look on man no more. Among the inhabitants of the world, my dwellings plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day to night, you bring me to an end. I calm myself until morning. Like a lion, he breaks all my bones. From day to night, you bring me to an end. Like a swallow or a crane, I chirp. I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with looking upward, O Lord. I'm oppressed. Be my pledge of safety. What shall I say? For he's spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I walk slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul, O Lord. By these things men live. In all these is the life of my spirit. O restore me to health and make me live. Behold. It was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. But in love you've delivered my life from the pit of destruction. For you've cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol does not thank you. Death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, he thanks you as I do this day. The Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. The Lord will save me and will play. we will play music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. Now, you remember when Samson killed the lion and there was honey in the carcass of the lion? We shouldn't spiritualize the Bible. We spoke about this this morning. We should not say, oh, this has this spiritual meaning, like the lion means this and the honey. No, no, no. It's a real lion and real honey. But I can say to you, I will take that as an illustration to say, God can bring good things out of bad things. <laughs> God brought good things out of Joseph's suffering. Do you remember that? When Joseph sold, Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. Joseph even said that. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Genesis 50 verse 20. And here you have a psalm, a hymn, a song of praise in your Bible. Why do you have this song in your Bible? Because Hezekiah was sick. He was ill. God brings good things out of bad things. You wouldn't have had this chapter in your Bible if Hezekiah didn't become ill. And so the Lord can do that for you. You're ill, and when you get well, God uses your illness, and you again, you encourage others. You, when they're sick, now you understand what they feel like. When, if you had cancer, someone else gets you understand. You know how to encourage Paul, another example of bringing good things out of bad things, the Apostle Paul, in Galatians 4 verse 13, Paul says to the Galatians, you know why I preached the gospel to you. Why did I preach the gospel to you? Because I became ill. It was because of a bodily ailment. I was sick. I was busy traveling. I became ill. I'm too ill to travel, but I'm not too ill to talk. So I told you the good news. You wouldn't have become Christians if I wasn't sick, if I didn't become ill. And just to cut a very long story short, my sister became a Christian because Paul was ill. She got saved through John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And Bunyan wrote that book because John Bunyan got saved. And John Bunyan got saved because he read Martin Luther's sermons on Galatians. And Martin Luther wrote sermons on Galatians because Paul was ill. We've got Galatians in our Bible because of that. 
Here's another story. John MacArthur, he becomes sick. He's ill. He visits the doctor. The doctor says, you can't preach for longer than 10 minutes. And MacArthur says, I don't preach for 10 minutes. <laughs> so I won't be able to preach for now. And then MacArthur, he says to John MacArthur, when you're well, please contact me. I'd like to come to your church. This doctor is not a Christian. And the very first sermon MacArthur preaches when he's back, he starts a series in Luke. But before he preaches the opening passage, he preach, preaches on Luke, who was a doctor. And he speaks of Luke, the beloved physician. And this doctor becomes a Christian. So God uses MacArthur's illness to save the doctor. Now Hezekiah didn't see this. He didn't see, how's God going to bring something good from my illness? So in verse 10, Hezekiah says, In the middle of my days I must depart. Why does he say the middle of his days? He's 39 years old. How do I know that? Because God says, I give you 15 years more. He was 25 when he became king, and he reigned for, for 29 years. So that's 54 years from 25. 54 minus 15 brings you to 39. He's only 39 years old. You can get that, by the way, in 2 Kings 18, verse 2, and then in verse 5 here. Just do your math. Sickness and, health, sickness and death will not ask you, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> how old are you? It does not ask. Children die of illness. Middle-aged people die of illness. Old people die of illness. Why? Because we live in a Genesis 3 world. We live in a fallen world where there is illness and death because of sin. Now Hezekiah is afraid of death. Verse 10, am I consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years? He's afraid to die. In the end of verse, verse 3, he wept bitterly. Why is he afraid of dying? Is it because Old Testament believers had a wrong view of death? Old Testament believers, you know, they went to this gloomy place. Uh, that's not the reason. When, when Eli Elijah went away from this world, he didn't die. But it says the chariot of fire took him up to heaven. When Enoch went away from this world, he didn't die either. Hebrews 11 says God just took him. He didn't go to some gloomy place. He went to be with the Lord. Moses, when he died, he went to be with the Lord. How do I know that? Because Moses and Elijah appeared to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Luke 9 verse 30 and 31 says they appeared in glory. Luke 16, you've got the rich man and Lazarus. Where, that's before the death of Jesus. Where does Lazarus go? To a place of comfort, it says in Luke 16. Ecclesiastes 12 verse 7. The body returns to dust, the spirit returns to God who gave it. That's true of believers. So why is he afraid? Why doesn't he want to die? Is it maybe because just of a general fear of death, like John Piper once said, I tried to find a quote, couldn't get it. I'm not afraid of, I don't fear death, I fear dying. Is it this general fear of death? Yes, perhaps. Because Hebrews 2 does say in verse 14 and 15 that before Christ died, there was this slavish fear of death. Jesus came to abolish that, to destroy that. So maybe that's the case. But I think there's another reason he's afraid of dying. I'm going to show that to you just now. Just for now, I want to say, it's very important for you to have a right doctrine of death, a right theology of death. 
Because even if you're a Christian, if you have a wrong theology of what happens after death, you're going to have a very bitter deathbed. You're going to lie on that bed ill and you're going to be depressed. Because you don't quite know. If you think you're going to sleep for thousands of years before Jesus comes, that's a wrong theology of death and life after death or what happens after death. It's not going to be sweet. <clears throat> and then also, very important, very important, you must be able to say with the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ. Only then can you say to die is gain. You must be able to say, I receive the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. If you do not have that, if you have not repented, if you have not been born again, if you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, I don't care how good a theology you have of death, you're going to be shocked when you die. Because you'll stand before the Lord and say, Lord, Lord. And He'll say, oh, I never knew you. You must be born again. You must be saved. Now Hezekiah, he wants to see the Messiah. He wants to see Christ on earth. Verse 11, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. He wishes, he's heard all these promises of one day he's going to come. One day the Messiah will come on earth. He wants to see him. And he wants to be with his loved ones. Verse 11, I shall no more look on the inhabitants of the world. He wants to be with his loved ones on earth. Isn't that a, some kind of cause of anxiety for some believers when they're on their sickbed and they're going to die they're terminally ill I'm never going to see my children grow up I'll never see my children get married and so on so they have that fear I think a, a word of comfort in those times is do not fear do not fear because you're going to see the Lord Jesus you'll be in the place where there are innumerable angels, all the believers. Imagine that, talking to Abraham and talking to Isaac and to Moses and to the Apostle Paul and above all, to see your Lord, the Lord of glory. And all the believers throughout history and even those loved ones of yours who have trusted in Christ are now with the Lord. You're going to be there. And, and, you're going to have a heavenly perspective on God's dealings in this world. Doesn't it say in Luke 15, in verse 7, speaks of the joy. The joy in heaven when one sinner repents. Yes, I know verse 10 says the joy of the angels and the joy of the one among the angels, but verse 7 just says joy in heaven. Do you think, do you think the believers in heaven say, why is everyone happy? Oh, we can't tell you. No, they know. Someone has been converted. And what about the judgments of God? In Revelation 19, they know about the judgments of God that has come upon the wicked. The judgments that have come upon the wicked. And they praise God for His justice. Maybe you're afraid just because death is so sudden. Illness is so sudden. Verse 12, my dwelling's plucked up. It's like, he says, it's like a nomad's tent. You've got these shepherds in the Middle East. They don't have a farm with green pasture. They have to move around to find pasture for their sheep. So they pluck up the tent. He says, I feel like that. It's just, I'm just plucked up. Tent cords have been plucked up. I'm moving. I'm, I'm like a weaver's carpet, verse 12. And it's just cut off the loom, right? The carpet is, has been weaved now. It's woven. Cut it off. This is like so sudden. And then he continues and he says, 
It's from, from morning to evening. You bring my life to like the, it's, it's like you find in the morning and tonight you're on your deathbed. That happened with one of the preachers I often reference, Martin Holt. Martin Holt was diagnosed with cancer on a Tuesday and he was dead on Saturday. He was in heaven on Saturday. He, he still preached on Sunday. Preaching Sunday, diagnosed on Tuesday, in heaven on Saturday. It's quick. Maybe you even hope that you, you in the night, you know when you're sick, the nights are the worst and it feels so long and then you hope, just, just hoping for morning. Tomorrow I'll feel better and then tomorrow morning comes and you don't feel better. It feels like the Lord God is like a lion, says Hezekiah. That's what I hoped for, verse 13. I calmed myself until morning but then the Lord comes like a lion. He breaks all my bones. And I feel I'm just dying. I feel oppressed, he says, verse 13 and 14, I'm like a bird. And he mentions different kinds of birds. I'm like a bird calling out. I'm like a dove moaning. Lord, help me. Lord, answer me. I can't even look up anymore. I'm so weary. I'm so exhausted. And, and end of verse 14, be my pledge of safety. It's like he's saying, please guarantee that you will heal me. Guarantee that I will get well. You know, um, terminal illness. And long-term illness can break even the strongest Christian, strongest believer. God knows we're made of dust. It crushes the spirit, it says in Proverbs 18, verse 14. Think in those cases, believe God's promises. Believe that God is in control of your illness. Isaiah 49, verse 9 and 10. Psalm 139 verse 16. All your days were written in God's book before any of them existed. Or uh, the Isaiah passage which says God sees the end from the beginning. God says my counsel shall stand. All that I purpose I will do. And so your illness is in God's plan. It's part of God's plan. Doesn't it say in Exodus chapter 4 that God makes blind. God makes people to see. God makes them deaf. God makes them to hear. God makes them mute. God makes them to speak. So God is sovereign over illness. Deuteronomy 32 verse 39. I wound and I heal, says the Lord. <clears throat> and even where the devil is involved, because sometimes Satan makes people ill, demons. Uh, like, in, like in Luke chapter 13. But in Job's case, remember Satan came and he struck Job. And Job had all these sores on him, these boils. And Job, what did Job say? Shall we receive good from God? And not also the bad. And Job didn't sin with his lips when he said that. Job 2 verse 10. So he still acknowledges God is in control. God doesn't afflict us. God doesn't afflict us from pleasure. And he's got some evil passion in his heart. No. It's with great tenderness. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3 verse 33. It's not from heart that it's really with tenderness and God's plan is to work all things together for the good of those who love him. Just like the doctor mixes some stuff together, you can't take them individually, but he mixes them together and it's medicine. So God mixes bad things together, even illness, and he makes medicine to make you and, and change you into the image of Jesus. You become more like Christ. And often he heals, like in verse 15. What shall I say? He's spoken to me. He himself has done it. God has healed me. He's done it. He's done it. And he says in the rest of verse 15, I will walk slowly all the years because of this bitterness. Oh, oh, I know what it was like to 
have this bitter experience of, of illness and, and even to the point of death. Now I will live very carefully before the Lord. Take note. Be warned. Don't continue as you did before your sickness. Say, that sickness was a bitter experience. I don't want to live like I lived. I want to change. I want to do what is right. Like a, like a, a mission be said to me. Learn your lessons well. If you don't learn your lessons, God's going to take you through it again. So God sent this illness, and God sent the healing, and God often does that today still. Why? To turn people to Him. To turn them from the ways of death to the way of life, as it says in verse 16. O Lord, by these things, by these disciplines, these kinds of trials, by these things men live. In these things is the life of my spirit. Lord, you have brought me from death to life. Not only physically, but even from the wrong ways. God brings us to right ways. Didn't he do that with your father, my dear wife? Her father got saved lying in hospital for a whole year, ill. And he died of that. But God saved him there. God saved my grandfather that way. Lying on a deathbed with cancer, God saved him. And a number of passages in the Bible you got like that. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 5, just one example. The body is destroyed so that the soul may be saved. And Hezekiah Acknowledged this. He acknowledged it. Verse 17. Behold, it's for my welfare. It was for my good that I had this bitter experience. He sees it. And it's very often the case that the Lord does that. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your commandments. It is good for me that I was afflicted. That I might learn your statutes. That you can learn God's ways. And grow in them. Isn't that why the man was born blind? In John 9. So that God's great and good works could be seen. So that's for my welfare. It's for my welfare. But in love you've delivered me from the pit of destruction. And even if the Christian dies, it's for his welfare. Because then he goes to be with the Lord. And he sees the glory of Jesus Christ. Not long, guys. Give me injury time. I think that's the most important thing in illness. The most important thing in illness is not healing. It's being right with the Lord. You see that in verse 17, second part. You've cast my sins behind your back. That's what you want. That's what you want. And that's, the, that's what I said just now. I'll get back to this. That's why Hezekiah was afraid of dying. You have cast my sins behind your back. Things weren't right. So he says, Lord, I know this is discipline. I repent of this. And if you do not forgive me, verse 18, I'll go, to, I'll go to the gloomy place where they don't praise you. And they don't hope anymore. There's no hope. Now, we know sickness is not always punishment. Job's friends had that wrong. Oh, you must have done something wrong. No, you were wrong, Job's friends. But sometimes it is punishment. Sometimes it is like the ten plagues where God strikes them with boils. It was punishment. Or, or like um, Moses' sister, do you remember that? God struck her, she became leprous, leprosy. 
Or like David's baby in 2 Samuel 12, where it says, the Lord afflicted the child and he became ill. And we know what happened later on, he died. Or like the Philistines, God struck them with boils in 1 Samuel chapter 5. Or where you got in 2 Samuel 24, God struck the people of Israel. 70,000 died of pestilence. In the book of Revelation, it's God striking people for their sins, disciplining them. It's God who struck the Corinthians when they abused the Lord's Supper and some of them died. They became ill, many of them. And I've got a, a whole bunch of examples. Even David, after his adultery with Bathsheba, he became ill. Psalm 32, Psalm 38. Now, how do you know? How do you know? Is this the Lord disciplining me or not? Well, is your conscience bothering you? And have you disobeyed God's word? Then you know. If it's not bothering you, good, fine. But if it is, verse 17, pray, Lord, put my sins behind your back. Then you pray, Isaiah 53, by his wounds we have been healed. Then you pray, Lord, I need spiritual healing. I need forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. Because the doctor came not for those who are healthy, but those who are ill, said Jesus. He's that doctor. And he brings spiritual healing. He brings forgiveness. So confess your sins and then praise the Lord. Praise the Lord when he heals you, verse 19. Are you still with me? Almost done. Hello? Okay. You there. So you praise God if he heals you. And if he doesn't heal you and you die, then you go to heaven and you praise him there. <laughs> so you praise him here or you praise him there. Verse 19, the living thanks you as I do this day. And the Father makes known to his children. You tell people of God's faithfulness. You tell him them of what he has done for you. Don't forget to praise him. And if you die, or if you remain ill, you still praise God because thy loving kindness is better than life. Don't make healing your greatest aim when you are ill. Make honoring God your greatest aim. Pleasing God. Forget about yourself and serve others. Like I read to you in Philippians 2. Epaphroditus was very sick at the point he was close to death. And he still thought, how can I serve others? And maybe you don't have the physical strength, but you can pray. Like Errol Hulse, a South African pastor who went to England. He lived there for 60 years. And he got a stroke. And he's there, sitting in a wheelchair, had a stroke, and he prays. He prays for the world. He prays for missionaries. He prays for the gospel to spread. Or like a man I know who is now, as I speak tonight, terminally ill. They can do nothing more for him. The cancer has spread and spread and spread and spread. He got saved. I baptized him. Not long ago, earlier this year. And that man now wants to tell everyone about Jesus. He bought a whole box of the Gospel of John from the, the Bible house in Kenton Park. He wants to hand them out, hand them out, hand them out. People must know about Jesus. That's your greatest aim in illness. It's not to get well, but to do that. And then you remember, through that time of illness, the words of Jesus to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And then you look forward to that new world, new heavens and a new earth, 
where we will say Isaiah 33 verse 24. No one there will say, I am sick. For all their sins will be forgiven. You look forward to that new body. A resurrection body that can never get sick, never sin, and never... Father in heaven, thank you for hope and help and for the healing of our souls first and foremost. And thank you that we can look forward to a perfect body one day where we will be with you for all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.